Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. Hey, Todd. Dr. Wignall, how are you? I'm doing well, doing yeah. well. Living the dream? Living the dream. I am. I feel like I am living the dream. Yeah. Pretty close to it. Yeah. It's a good place to be in your yeah. life, right? Where you're like, I'm totally. pretty content. Uh-huh. I think I'm right behind you there. Yeah. Right beside you there, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to be behind me. No, I Bad don't. view. Yeah, let me get that clear. I am not behind you. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. We are going to talk today about examining failures in a useful way. Was this a reader question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Someone someone did ask, you know, how how am I supposed to do that? Yeah. Because I think we, we've talked a lot about, um, like, the dangers of reacting to failure in a unhelpful way. Like we've talked about how a lot of us tend to really just kind of beat the hell out of ourselves like when we fail. And Mm -hmm. so I I like this question because it's sort of the flip side of like, um, well, what, you know, constructively, positively, like what can, what are some better ways to handle um, and look at failures um, in a way that would be useful? Yeah, this is one of those questions that begs kind of a... um I feel like a staple of a response from me, you know, which is, um, you know, how do I look at my failures in a useful way? I would follow that up with a question of, as opposed to what? <laughs> right? I mean, if you think about it, and I'm not trying to be a smart aleck or a smart ass, but if you think about it and back up from that question, it's like, oh, I've, I do have a choice here. I can look at my failures in a useful way or not. But why would I choose or why would I want to um, practice looking at my failures in any other way, you know, when you think about it, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, it's a super good question. I've got two quick answers that I think are worth pointing out because I, I do think people do it for a reason. Oh, uh, sure, sure. But but I, I think if you backed up from that reason, you'd probably realize, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's worth questioning. Yeah. But I think it's it's hard to question it until you start to poke holes in these what I think of as the two big reasons why, which are the first is just like modeling and habit. Like if if you have someone in your life early on, a parent, who, yeah, or, yeah, who just really has a very negative, judgmental view of failure, yeah, like you're gonna, you're just going to learn that you're going to internalize that, just like you would internalize anything else that you get exposed to all the time and at that, an impressionable age. That's good for our listeners too. If you were brought up or raised by or around or you had a sibling that kind of did have this kind of allergy towards not being perfect or, or failure. You, you can, that modeling is, is enough to help you learn how to do oh, it yeah. to yourself. Yeah. And that's important to realize that can end up being very strong to the point where you feel like it's just part of your personality. Well, so many of these but, things are, are, um, uh, classically conditioned, right? When the conditions are right, we reflexively go into these kind of responses. Right. So, yeah. But fundamentally it's just a habit. It's something you've learned, mm-hmm. which means you, it, it's not easy, but you can unlearn that. It's not a fixed part of your nature, right? I think I think that's important. To see, it, it it can be very intense and longstanding, um, but doesn't mean it's you don't have a gene that makes you predisposed to right. You're not stuck with failure. That. Yeah. yeah. Um, the other one, I think, the maybe more subtle and harder one to kick is, um, I think people use it as a motivation strategy. I think people learn mm. that being hard on yourself after a mistake is the way that you 
do better next time. Yeah, there is this kind of like drill sergeant-ish kind of um, yep. philosophy there that I, what I really need is an ass kicking yep. to, to <laughs> right. get myself motivated here. And if I kick my ass hard enough, maybe I'll get on board with yeah. this program. You yeah. Know? yeah, which is a really a really um, nasty belief in part because it, it kind of works. It works just enough for people to believe this is like a universal solution to my issues of motivation is yeah. that like, like fear does work as a motivator in limited ways. Right. Sure. And, and in for very small amounts of time, but it is an awful long-term motivational strategy. <laughs> a, because it just doesn't work in the long run. And, and B, because like you end up feeling like garbage all the time when you're just kicking the shit out of yourself. Yeah, a good example of this, let's say, and we use this example a lot. Let's say we have someone who's just really has a goal of getting to the gym more, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I got to do this. And then when they fail, they just ridicule the hell out of themselves in this effort to like motivate themselves to quit being such a jerk, you know, and get to the gym. And then the next time they go to the gym, it's like this white knuckle, I hate this experience. Right. You know, imagine the headspace that you're in as you try to uh, as you try to approach a goal that you've just ridiculed yourself for days on. That that doesn't create a real prime learning atmosphere internally. Yeah, it just yeah. it really like saps you of. You might I do mean, it, but it's not going to be a pleasant experience. Probably. I, I think one of the ways I explain this is think about some time when you've been really, really anxious or stressed out for a limited amount of time, like mm -hmm. something really like I don't know. Um, you know, you're maybe you're uh, you had like a fire in your house or you had like just a horrific like presentation you had to give at work and it, everything went wrong and you were just super Little stressed out. Kind of yeah, something like that, right? In the moment, anxiety and stress are they they boost your energy, right? They they activate you. You're you're aroused, right? So you you're you're more Focus your yeah, you're focused, yeah. you're like but in the in the long run, after that initial spike of adrenaline, you're depleted, right? You're exhausted after that. Yeah. Right. For the long, there are long-term consequences to that. So the, it's very rarely is that trade-off worth it, but that's essentially what you're doing to yourself when you're using like ridicule and, and self-judgment mm -hmm. as a motivational strategy. So yeah. I, we don't want to belabor these too much because I think we've, we've talked a lot about how sure. not helpful those are, but sure. I think that's a good kind of setup as to like, it's, these are, this is why it's not just an easy thing. Like people have reasons for why they're yeah, and I stuck think, in this. I think uh, those two reasons actually cover probably the majority of people who so. kind of do this. I mean, yeah. not to be too simplistic, but that modeled kind of learned behavior habit and then this idea that somehow this is going to be motivating seems to be a, yeah. the, the two by far most common presentations. And usually it's a combo of both. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Almost definitely. always actually. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Okay. So let's, let's sort of move on to, okay. So we, we maybe we um, recognize those two things and we're working to kind of like call ourselves out on those um, and not see those as so intrinsic to who we are and sort of inevitable. Well, what, what do you then do after a failure? Like what is a healthy way to look at and move on from a particular failure? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've got four kind Ooh. of useful hints on, on, on how to do this. Um, uh, but you know, the only one other thing I would say before I get into those is that, um, also understanding why you do this is, is kind of validating. It's kind of nice to go, Oh, what I'm trying to do is get better at that. I'm just doing it the wrong way. Oh. Right. To, because sometimes these behaviors, you know, ridiculing yourself and it, it just seems like, why the hell do I do this? Well, right. there is a reason and reasons. it's not 
totally crazy. You know, right. it, it, you you probably came by it honestly, and it seems to work. It just misfires. So that's a good point to to kind of keep that validation as an important part. Um, one of the one of the first things I do is encourage clients n- to avoid making like global appraisals of their value or of their morality or whatever mm-hmm. that is when they're looking at failures. Right when you're when you're going to back up and look at something that you did poorly or didn't perform. Um, uh, your best at it's, it's probably a good idea right away to not make global appraisals, uh, mm. appraisals of I'm just a worthless. I'm just, you know, avoid making those kinds of statements. And if you find yourself doing that, it's probably not going to be helpful. So, so in other words, if you, um, instead of you get a, you get your test back from school and you got a D on it instead of I'm an awful student, I'm an idiot. I'm not smart. All those kind of huge kind of appraisals. I would say those are, about, that is not a way to kind of, um, uh, usefully examine right something so, like and that. Even something just like, man, I really bombed that test, is is much less global, right? Yeah, it's still kind of negative. Yeah. I did not do well on, on that. that test, no doubt about that. But yeah. it says nothing about me as a person or my future or the state of reality. <laughs> you know, like it's just it's <laughs> limited, right? <laughs> right? It's a narrow interpretation of what happened. The other thing I do is is tell clients to examine failures when the iron is cold. And, and we all we've all heard strike mm. while the iron's hot. The, that emotional reasoning thing, that ass kicking thing, stems the uh, stems from that emotional like I can't believe this failure happened, right? And and we're all susceptible to that uh, that emotional like oh this is so wrong. That's probably not the time to go into what could I have done better here. <laughs> right? But why? Okay, so why do we? You're a psychologist, Dr. Sewell. <laughs> mm-hmm. why, why is that so hard, though? I think a lot of people would like to just move on and not think about it so much, at least not in the moment. But it's almost like it's compulsive. Like, we feel like we have to sort of brood on it. It's hard not to think about it. Like, what's going on with that? Like, why is it so hard to just... Why can't we just say, like, you know what? This is a bummer. I'll process this, you know, tomorrow when I'm kind of cooled off and then just let it go until tomorrow. Like, why is that so hard? It's probably very similarly related to the reason you're going to try to kick your own ass anyway through this, <laughs> which is like, this can't be, I can't accept this failure or whatever it is. Mm. Um, that, that would be my guess. I, that's a good question, but I would, I would probably. So it's almost like, it's like denial. Like you're sort of in denial about the fact that you actually got a D on a on a test, or oh no no no, I think the disappointment is so intense in that moment probably that you want a solution naturally. It's oh, like I I, I want to get past this and I don't want this to be a problem ever again. And this okay. can't be. I can't fail. I got to, you know, it's that. So kind I've got to think about it. I've got to solve this. I've got to right fix it right now. Mm. And while that seems to make sense, it's it's a bit of emotional reasoning. And oftentimes I've had clients make way more progress examining a situation four days past or three days past where they're not quite as disappointed and hurt over what happened and they can kind of look at it in a little bit more um, unbiased way. Yeah. Um, I, I often with clients when I talk about the difference between worry and problem solving, I, I say they're almost identical. Like it's almost the exact same thing, the, the cognitive patterns. Mm-hmm. The only difference is uh, worry is when you're trying to problem solve something that either A, isn't actually a problem or B is not a problem you can solve right now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is the case with this. Like, I mean, flunking a test is a problem, right? And you should probably take some steps to rectify that or not let it happen in the future. The right. question is, are you going to be productive doing that right now in this moment? And what your point is like, 
immediately after is probably the worst time you could try to do that. Yeah, not only that, but you're you're going to be doing what we call kind of emotional reasoning. Your logic is going to be so impacted by your emotional state of mm. disappointment that are you really going to be able to pick it's not out the, be productive. the yeah, probably yeah. not. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to you know, that that's where you see this like, well, I should have just never even tried. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, that makes sense given how you feel right now for sure, right. but is that really kind of the yeah. the the assessment of this failure that you mm -hmm. want to look at, right? So that's, I, I like this. So basically, you have permission to punt on correcting your failures, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You can yeah. defer that project to a moment for where a little you can while. really kind of, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah. All right. That was a good one. Mm -hmm. Number two. Uh, well, what was are, that two? That was two. What, wait. Shoot, what uh, the moral globe. Oh, don't. Yeah, right, right. right. And okay. then, and then let's Strike wait a minute the to kind cool. of. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I do with clients a lot in sessions is to really do what we call a, a chain analysis. Mm, sounds I, fancy. I, I look at we we examine all the steps in the process of where that failure occurred. Let's say let's say it's a test. You know, we look at. Um, you know the the study time beforehand, the preparation. Um, what happened before you got to the class or whatever, sat down mm -hmm. or, or this presentation. And let's kind of, let's look at all the steps and where would you change something in here now, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the iron's cool now. Where would you want to kind of change things? Um, and, and oftentimes you'll find uh, there are many points of, er, of intervention there. Hmm. there. There's not just one thing you could have done. There's oh. probably lots of things. And then to really just focus on that, what would I do differently next time? And or when this situation comes up again, and then to rehearse that a mm -hmm. lot, those interventions, yeah. What do you do if someone can't find, I mean, I really like that. It's, it's a very structured, kind of cool approach to doing mm -hmm. legitimate sort of problem solving on, on a failure or mistake. Um, yeah, what if, what, if, what if you get kind of blanks? What if someone says like, well, I don't know, you know, I studied for a while, and I didn't feel super anxious or anything during the test, and like, how would you, help people go a layer deeper, I guess is my question. Like, what do you, do you ever get that? Do you ever get people? Oh, who yeah. Are like, oh okay. yeah. Well, but that to a psychologist, I think is even more interesting because it's like, <laughs> right. I mean, you smile because it's like, Hmm, what's going on for this person that they, they're not identifying right. potential intervention right. points and how can I help them elaborate on those? And so and what are them? some of those common blind spots? Like why are people missing things? Um, either because they, there's a true sort of ignorance about it. I, you, you, they just aren't tying something together sometimes. Yeah, like you just started med school and you have no idea how to study for med school yeah. tests. It's a completely you know, different Are the expectations yeah. right? Are the, are the conditions right? What, are there any things that as an unbiased observer, I can see that they're just not seeing? Mm -hmm. um, so there, go get some external feedback maybe. Yeah. Like go talk to a tutor or something or talk to a coworker who's been through something like... I'm, I'm missing something here. Like, what do you see? Yeah. You know? you know, the other thing is to dive into their conceptualization of failure, I think, and, and what it means, you know, and, mm -hmm. and to see if we can work there because like, like you said earlier, a lot of people just have this allergy to any kind of, of uh, misstep and they often equate these missteps to intense, tragic um, events and, and, if, if we look at every kind of misstep like that, that's going to be a brutal headspace in existence to live out. So it's just sort of an extreme view of fail. Like there's no middle ground with failure. It's either like you succeed or I'm it's, a complete failure. Yeah. 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 Right. So how do you actually, how do you practice something different? Like how do you, um, what do you do to break out of that kind of black and white approach to failure? Like what's something 
do you like how do you, how do you encourage your clients to to do that well this is why my clients love me so much because i reason 5426 <laughs> right, right at least why at god's least. clients love him <laughs> no I, I i'm often encouraging my clients to just purposely mess up oh you know um mm-hmm. i i have a client whose allergy to perfection went into their physical appearance and the way they trimmed their mustache and beard mm. was part of this. And this person would admit that at times when trimming, there's, you know, I went too short on this side and, and it would cause happens. all sorts of, but, you know, <laughs> part of that was like, oh, I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and do that on purpose and learn to tolerate an error. Mm. And um, I've got a client right now who's um, a perfectionist and has gone and chopped one of his prized bushes right in half. <laughs> And uh, he loves it when he drives up to his driveway. He's he's really learning to appreciate his capacity to uh. live with errors. And uh, yeah, so I w- we would do lots of exercises around increasing a, a person's tolerance of mistakes. Gotcha. Yeah. So for them to to actually learn experientially what they probably know intellectually, which is it's it's not actually the end of the world, um, but it's a very different thing to know it abstractly versus to to live in it and sit in it and feel it and develop a uh, a tolerance for it and and even an appreciation for it right and a lot of my clients with these kinds of exercises there's a certain sense of pride that starts to develop around what they can tolerate you know and you know Mm -hmm. that that bush for example is is kind of a funny thing (laughs) because he'll tell me with a smile on his face my bush is still messed up you know (laughs) and i haven't fixed it and it's kind of funny but yeah you do want to kind of right size the um, the meaning of failure in their head. And, mm-hmm. and once you can learn to tolerate it, you realize, oh, this is tolerable and this is even something I can appreciate. And I, I love how behavioral this is. It, you, it's ultimately about changing a belief, right, about what failure really means. But the way you do that, it's not intellectual, it's behavioral. Yeah, it's so behavioral. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's such a common, understandable misconception. We think that the way to change beliefs is to think harder about them, right? Or to give yeah. more advice about them or something like that. But yeah. And really the best way is to learn and learning is done through behavior. Yeah. And so, and so to really connect people to moments where they're getting in touch with those really, um, incongruent ideas and experiences and let them kind of mm-hmm. realize that there's another possibility out there is a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. What are your, what are your thoughts on, expanding your no this is great you're rolling was that number four that was it that's okay. a, oh, it was just three sorry three is good three is a more normal number of list items i don't like normal four, four was throwing up, me off i'll I, make up another four um four <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> no i think those are great and that that last one was something i really wanted to to point out so i'm glad you did that just the idea that you have to i mean i think a lot of us know this generally in life is that much of our real learning happens through experience not through like reading or inputting information or just sitting in your chair and and thinking about something. mm -mm. It's probably not where you get a very good appreciation and knowledge about anything. If you want to learn to play golf, like sure, go ahead and read a couple books. Like, but the vast majority of your learning is going to come from getting out there and like looking ugly for a while until you kind of get the swing of it. There you go. Good (laughs) pun. Um, yeah. And I, and, and you know, a lot of people have clever sayings about failures, you know, um, and that, that I think there's there's one to the point where like the only failure is if you don't learn from your mistakes, right? There's the only real failure. But hmm. whatever your philosophy is around failure, you just want it to be adaptive and lead you to better outcomes. And 
feeling like you've got to brutalize yourself inside those moments is probably not going to bring about a good outcome for you. Yeah, and maybe that's kind of one of those underlying um, philosophies or, or theories of mind that makes this hard for people. Is I think a lot of people have a a very all or nothing approach to their own development and performance, where often maybe because they're as young kids and young adults, maybe they they were very talented and they always kind of did well at things. Then eventually you get to a point where you just can't like it's hard. You can't just rely on on sheer talent, and they have a really hard time with the idea that like. I can't just like wing it and be good. at I, I You have to adopt at some point, I think, a kind of incrementalist attitude where it's like, I don't just jump from point A to point B. I, I go to, you know, to mix my metaphors, 1.1 to 1.2 to 1.3, yeah. and then I get to two, you know. Yeah, oftentimes there's multiple runs at something before you can kind of figure it out and, and get it. Um, and you failure see this, is what facilitates that, actually. Yeah, that is That's the, where the thing learning that makes you from. go, oh, okay. Um, and you can see this with kids and parents a lot. There's this kind of, you know, there's this realization that kids need to fail in order to learn. Mm-hmm. It seems like as we grow up, though, we, we kind of get this belief that oh, I've got to do everything right the first time or I'm a worthless person, right? Or, yeah. or, I'm, or I'm just terrible. But to back up and allow yourself those errors as learning opportunities, I think, is a much better route to well-being. Hey everyone, Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks.